It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. With a flick of a switch, we turn night to day and day to night. We can change seasons, actions and states of mind. Light is everywhere. Used endlessly and very much a part of our modern world. But what is it? How do we use it? And how is it changing our environment and our behaviours? A star-filled sky was once our evening entertainment, but now it's Netflix, iPads, Bluetooth, whatever. When was the last time you looked at the night sky? I'm Marnie Og, and this is Dark Sky Conversations, the podcast that brings people and science together to shed light. And today I have Anthony Tekic speaking with me about unihedron. And I'm just going to launch straight into this, Anthony, because I would really like to know how on earth you came up with this little device. And we'll talk a little bit more about what it actually does and how it works. But what was your path and where, how have you got to where you are now? Well, thank you, for Marnie, for having me on here and uh, opening up. I was uh, back in uh, 2005. Um, my friend that I met at the astronomy club, Dr. Doug Welch, uh, he's an astrophysicist and he had an idea, would like to try to find out what the best way of uh, describing how dark the night sky is. Because a lot of people, when they went out and looked at stars, they would uh, just go by their eyes and if they saw a certain number of stars, they would think that was good or they would argue amongst themselves <laughs> and whatnot when they went to star parties and things like that. So <laughs> my uh, side's darker than yours. Mm, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and of course, as you get older, uh, you don't see as many stars. So that's an issue too. So it would be a good way to be able to compare that and, uh, and compare it with something simple like a, a number that you could compare different sites with. So he came up with the idea that we should probably try to make a little device that does this. And uh, he looked around and found some ways of doing it. And I worked with him. I'm an electronics technologist. And uh, so I knew a bit about the electronics and whatnot that would be involved in doing that. And uh, we built a little circuit and got a few tests running and uh, took it out into the backyard and (laughs) basically did what we wanted to. So we went on from there and built a small handheld unit and took it to a few meetings and showed people what it was all about and got some interest there and then we uh 
took it to a star party up in Ontario, Canada, which is where I'm from. And uh, a lot of people liked it. So we started selling them. And just by word of mouth, it went from there. And basically, uh, what this little handheld device does is at the press of a button, it tells you how dark the night sky is. And it uses a very sensitive light meter or light sensor in there to do that. It has a little display on it. And people could easily compare each other's sights to see if this was a good place to set up the telescope or uh, or if it was a dark enough sky to start taking photographs with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's basically how we started. Um, and so what is a light technologist? Or an, is that what you said? An well, electronic te- electronics yeah. technologist. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. basically I know about uh, computers and electronics and how to get circuits working, that type of thing. So the uh, the components that were required to get this little light meter device to work is a, a small light sensor, and it has a small computer in it, a microcontroller, it's called. It does a very uh, basic things, but it knows enough to get the reading from the light sensor and then convert that to numbers that could be displayed on a display. So we decided to use... Uh, LED display because uh, for one thing they're red and uh, the red doesn't bother your night vision at night. Mm -hmm. So uh, we use that and also um, we use the LED display because it's uh, it's quite bright and it's quite durable. Easy to read. Mm, It's very mm. easy to read exactly Mm. and it works well even in the cold so whereas an LCD display has some issues in the cold. So Mm. that's so I, I, yeah. yeah, so I guess I, as you're saying this, I'm, I'm I'm remembering the first encounter that I had with an SQM sky quality meter, and uh, and it was literally standing out in the Warrumbungle National Park in Australia, looking to see if the night sky was dark enough to create a dark sky place. And I think that's probably where most of the general public, if it's not through an astronomy club and checking out you know astrophotography sites, it might actually be to create a dark sky place and to verify that the night sky is dark enough and it seems rather strange for doing a, a podcast talking about light and here we are talking about how you're actually measuring darkness um <laughs> and yeah so and, and i do remember you know it was easy to read it was very easy to use you know as a, i'm not technical at all and it was it was fascinating to actually you know point the 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 machine at, a, uh, at the night sky and see how it varied even within the night sky. So you know you're just pointing it at one particular point in the night sky doesn't mean that's exactly where it is you know within a 350 kilometers radius or anything like that. So how why do you measure the darkness and not the light? Well. Th- it's uh, actually it's an astronomical term, and it's uh, going with stars and whatnot. Astronomers check the brightness of stars by their magnitude. Mm-hmm. So that's the the they would say it, this star is a certain magnitude star, like a sixteen magnitude or nineteen magnitude star. So when astronomers measure the the night sky, it's basically like taking the brightness of that star and spreading it out over a night sky. So if, for example, the readings that we get from the sky quality meter are measured in magnitudes per square arc second. And if you had a reading of, let's say, 
19 magnitudes per square arc second. It's the same as saying that that's the brightness of a 19 magnitude star spread over the area of a certain amount. And in this case here, it's a, a square arc second. Now, you know, in um, if you're measuring angles and whatnot, it's uh, degrees, minutes, seconds. And if you're measuring over uh, a certain area, it could be a square area. So in this case, the, uh, the, the scientific reading is uh, measured in these magnitudes, which is the brightness per square, which is an area, and mm -hmm. then arc seconds is an angle of measurement. So it's basically a scientific way of measuring it. And, and it's, you could say, yeah, it's measuring the darkness, which is true. The number gets higher as it's darker, but actually inside the meter, it's measuring light. So it has to collect enough light and then it converts that over to how dark it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, the, the brightest that we can measure what would be zero. So that's really low in the darkness. And the darkest we measure is up in near the 22 area or so. So actually on that, I, I've, I've read a little bit of controversy that the Australian dark skies are actually darker than 22. <laughs> is that actually possible? I'm, I'm not even sure. But Well, uh, yeah, yeah, it probably is. Um, there's a few things like natural dark sky. It could be a little bit darker than 22. Uh, and there's other reasons why it can be darker. We've had a lot of interesting things. If, if somebody, for example, is standing in an area that's uh, completely blocked off from lights from cities or let's say you were in a wooded area and the the trees are blocking the cities that are off in the distance so that light may not be coming directly in and it may actually be blocking uh, what they call these uh, light domes it appears like a dome of light off in the distance so that can be blocking and then also you could have clouds that are right over top of this area so it's almost like you're encapsulated in this little uh, mm -hmm. cylinder of trees with clouds on top and then it would get very dark and we've had some readings that were beyond 22 something or other because it was so dark also uh, if you're out in the ocean and there happens to be clouds that can be dark or sometimes even in a desert where there's absolutely no light at all mm. it can also be quite dark too so Yep, there's been a lot of controversy. People argue, <laughs> well, this, my place is darker than yours. And, and maybe they're right, you know. <laughs> well, I have to, I do have to laugh because my involvement in all of this is, you know, helping educate about light pollution and, and, and answering questions, you know, like what is a unihedron SQM, et cetera, and how to use it. And But I do go to a lot of different um, associations and clubs and talk to them, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of competition on who is the darkest and who is... <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is lovely in a way because it means they want to preserve it and keep it that way. So. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't start too many arguments. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, is there a, um, any plans to evolve? Are you constantly evolving the SQM? And yeah, we are. We, we have quite a bit over uh, since 2000. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. 
The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause, and Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. The five, what you know, we've added a lot of things. People ask, well, can you add this? Can you add that? And basically, it turns out, you know, they want. Uh, the sky quality meter to be a helicopter. <laughs> it's got everything in it. So. <laughs> Actually, I guess a drone drone capacity would be really great if you could. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have had people ask about that. Um, mm-hmm. So they need to know the weight of it. And I don't know. They never got back to me, but uh, I'm not sure if they actually did put it up because we uh, we have other units that are computer controlled. And they'll connect up to your computer directly. But if you were sending it up in a drone, then you could use our battery-operated one that stores information, like a data-logged information, and it's records inside its own self. Um, and that could be brought up. Some people will uh, try to aim it up at the sky, you know, in a drone if they if they did it i didn't actually get anybody that got back to me like i said but some people have taken it up in airplanes and mm. uh, you know tried to do different things from a different height so i've got two questions one is obviously so it has the capacity just to sort of keep gathering data automatically because the way I've used it is it is literally standing in the dark with a jacket on you know freezing cold pointing it directly overhead when that's that's the key thing isn't it It has to be directly overhead Um, and taking one measurement and then you know turning 90 degrees and taking another measurement so the so you have the capacity to actually automate the the data in some Mm. other models Mm. yeah the easiest model is the the ones that you're talking about there we have two of those. When we first came out with it, we came out with a model that took a wider view of the sky. And that would be good for if you're out in an open field, like at a star party. And that's uh, a pretty wide view of the sky, um, probably about 60 degrees or so on each side. And that's okay if there's no trees around or there's no lights and things like that. But when people want to start using them in the suburbs where there might be some trees beside their house or there might be Mm -hmm. a a street lamp close by, they'd want a more narrow view. So we came up with another model that has a lens in it, and that's the SQM-L. And that has a plus or minus 20 degree field of view. Um, and you would you could still point that directly at the sky, but you wouldn't be catching some of the light from off in the distance. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, a few other models as well now that connect to computers, and these are the ones that can constantly record. And uh, and we have first after that we came out with the Ethernet model because uh, people might have their own little observatory in their backyard or maybe some other professional observatory somewhere and they would connect that through the Ethernet connection onto their network and they could monitor the readings either within you know in their house or over the over the internet like through the network and that and mm. they could take a look at what their observatory was doing it might be miles away and then we had other requests to have some connected up to uh, an RS-232. That's a serial port on the computer. And then the USB port. <laughs> and then we've had uh, the our most recent ones are uh, 
are completely battery operated. So you can just sit that out in the field. And we've had a lot of people use it for um, long-term research. So if you like the one that you're talking about with the handheld one, you have to be there to take the reading and mm -hmm. that's okay if, if you've got the time, but if the moon doesn't go down until 2am, then mm -hmm. you have to stay up pretty late and wait for the sky to get a little bit darker. So we have other ones that can be just sat out in a field and they'll collect data as often as you like every minute or every five minutes or so. And you could just come back a month later and grab all the readings. And then what you would do there is look for the darkest part of all those. And you could use that for getting your uh, dark sky, mm. uh, you know, approval. I imagine that's the, the way most people come into contact with it. Is it. What's your experience with sales? Who's buying these? Well, most of the people that buy them are, are buying the handheld units. Uh, they're the lowest cost for one thing. They're easy to get started in. And, uh, and then there's a lot of people that with observatories that will buy the uh, Ethernet model. And also we've gotten a lot of people that are doing long-term studies that are buying the battery-operated one. So, uh, so a mix and, of everything. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Pretty well a mix of uh, quite a few of those. There's some special cases where people want to build their own little circuits and they'll get the RS-232 model and, and hook up something like a you know, Raspberry Pi type of device mm -hmm. or whatever and connect in through some serial port there. Or, uh, and, and those are, you know, we get a lot of astronomers buying it. We get a lot of um, people doing light pollution studies, for example, like what you're doing with the uh, dark sky park approval and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. And then we get uh, a lot of other interesting things too, people doing animal studies. Uh, I remember early on, we had a, a fellow that was doing studies on uh, how how horses react in the dark sky and apparently they have very good vision in the dark and he wanted to see uh just how dark so i think he was enclosing them in a barn and then just turning a little bit of light on or something and trying to get a reading so just uh, finding out how how dark they could actually see signs and whatnot and, and, and painted objects inside and then there's also um a lot of people doing uh, turtle research in, yeah. uh, in the coasts of, um, well, both in North America and uh, some in Australia as well, actually lots and uh, lots in Australia and, and other um, places they want mm -hmm. to find out because the turtles see the light from hotels or mm, uh, verandas, houses, yeah, right. Mm. And sometimes they will go towards that rather than head towards the moon, shining off of the ocean. So there's mm. uh, some activists that have tried to get uh, towns and whatnot to to uh, have the lights on the hotels shining straight down rather than out towards the beach. And some of that's, as far as I know, has worked out in the uh, in the Florida area. Yeah, and it's actually working in Australia too. We've got some turtles up in Bundaberg, which is in northern Queensland, and uh, the, the, there's been some interesting um, work done there with changing this type of colour globe. Um, but what I think is probably one of the nicest, um, which is in my mind a win-win, is that, like you mentioned before, that the trees can become a, a, a method of making the area darker. And what they've actually done is I think it was 100,000 trees. They've put trees on the shoreline so that it actually creates a green curtain between the city of Bundaberg, which is quite not massive, but for northern Queensland it's 
it's it's a larger town and certainly enough light to attract turtles to it and they're having some success with that as I, as I believe so we're not only are we helping the turtles but we're also you know help, helping green our environment as well which is nice mm. right right mm. yeah and so is the horses uh, the, the most unusual use of your SQMs as you know it? Or? Well, that's one yeah. of the first ones that I recall. Uh, there's a few other people doing studies on bats. There was uh, somebody doing uh, an interesting study on, um, well, it's a nature type of thing. Apparently, uh, when you put out a street lamp or something near a field, uh, they, it attracts a lot of insects near the street light. And I think, what was it? Somebody was saying that, uh, that certain creatures like to eat insects, but if you bring all the insects to the streetlight, then those creatures are going to be a problem. I think it was something like uh, snakes or rodents. I think it was, uh, the, I think the rodents were too many rodents in the field, mm. in, the, in the farmer's field. And that's because... Uh, the snakes weren't eating the rodents and the, the snakes yeah. and other things like to, it's yeah. all to do with the insects being drawn away from the field where these other creatures could eat those insects. So they had to just make it darker. So the insects would go back there and these other creatures could eat, <laughs> eat themselves, yeah. I guess, instead of eating all the rodents eating the crops. That's, look, this is the thing. We don't realise that, you know, just by putting one little thing here, we change the, you know, the, the whole series of plant evolution and, and animal, you know, instincts that go around it, which is it's absolutely stunning. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. There's been a lot of people that have done interesting studies. We have them on our, on our website. In, if you look at the products and then you can see all the reports. And there's been a lot of interesting studies over the years uh, that people have done. I think the animal ones are kind of, we never expected that. So when we were doing this for astronomy, we never expected all these offshoots. Mm. I guess the, the, in some ways, as you were talking before, I, I've attended a few of the few conferences, Alan conference, the artificial light at night conferences and, and heard the ecologists talk about it. And I've also been in meeting rooms where they've talked about, you know, we really need this device to be able to measure this. And, and the problem is, is that almost every animal or insect, you know, sees light or experiences light in a different way. So they might only experience it on the horizon or they might experience it directly overhead. It could be very low sources, you know, and, and, and so, Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, 
where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. You know, you could have a job for the next 300 years creating, <laughs> um, you know, light measurement devices for every single sort of animal in, in you know, animal and insect. Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, well, that's one thing about uh, what animals look at. I mean, our, our meter does measure light and it has a field of view that is somewhat similar to eyes, like the eye would see. But uh, if the, the human eye. Need, mm. That's right. Yeah, mm. like, well, as far as the field of view, um, and I'll talk about the colors in a sec too, but the, if, if an animal is looking straight out at the horizon, they're going to see a bit of the sky and then a bit of like the land. And if that land is white, it's going to affect the reading that we would see, but it's also going to affect what the animal sees too. So it, it is kind of a challenge to get some kind of a device that mimics an animal completely and what the animal sees. Mm. And then there's also the issue of the color that the animals see, because some some creatures uh, like bumblebees can see into the ultraviolet and other animals see a lot in the infrared. And our meter itself has its own spectrum of color that it measures. It's close to the human eye, but it's not exactly the human eye. And that's a whole issue now that uh, new LED lighting is coming mm, out, mm. changing the color that, that's being emitted. And some of those colors are, have more of an effect or less of an effect on us. So it's but you could adapt the SQM, I imagine, to, yeah, there to is, uh, change that spectrum. Mm. That's right, exactly. And some of our other meters, we have uh, filter adapters that can be put on. Well, actually, all of them, we have an adapter that you can apply a filter adapter. So the meter itself has a silicone sensor in there, which has its own spectral response. But if you put a filter over that, you can change it to closer to different things and some people have done that they've taken the uh the meter that we have and then put a blue filter on there to maybe help for uh, certain animals would see those colors and you can use a standard astronomy filter with our filter adapter and and put that inside and do different experiments some people have done those things where they've got various filter adapters it's just basically a, a plastic uh, piece that sits on top of the meter bolted pair of sunglasses yeah basically yeah and then you can screw in any any filter you want yeah like a like a sunglass basically yeah yeah, yeah that's interesting to know because uh yeah as i said i i sit in a room with with people much more intelligent than me that can you know that are researching animals or insects and then talk about you know what they need to measure and it's actually very interesting and sort of slightly off topic here, but I had a room where there were a whole lot of marine biologists and a whole lot of terrestrial researchers and what they needed from an SQM was completely different pieces of equipment. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And yet what the aim of the meeting was, was to discuss, well, if we were to use one specific piece of equipment so that we can talk across, you know, at least we can compare and contrast how light pollution is changing or evolving or, you know, getting worse, um, we can then talk about the same thing using the same measurements and the same devices. And uh, they couldn't do it. 
at the end of it, they no. had, to, had to agree to disagree. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I've been to a meeting like that too, one of the uh, ALAN meetings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the thing there is though, uh, with color, it, it's not just one thing, right? It's not just red or blue, it's like a whole spectrum of colors. And, and it's a little bit of a problem to measure uh, accurately a whole wide spectrum of color and also in the dark. Now, if it was light, there are spectrometers that work very well and you can see the whole spectrum range when it's bright enough but in the dark there may just not be enough light especially with the sensor it's a low-cost sensor that we put into our meter and that one would not be sensitive enough to measure very fine uh, spikes of of the spectrum mm -hmm. so you wouldn't be able to say just measure um, the infrared or just the uh, only reddish yellow and that's it and not anything else we have to pretty well bring in a lot of light just to get a reading and the way the our meter works is that um, to collect enough light to get a reading it actually takes a bit of time to do that and once that time is up then we can produce a reading so it may actually take uh, well more than one second usually but if it's really dark it may take five seconds to read and that's because we're still collecting quite a bit of the spectrum of the color but if we were to put a filter on that only looked for a very narrow band it may never be able to collect enough light it may take minutes to collect it or and i imagine that they might well. blow out some of the other yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so i think the the question that you have about these people not agreeing most of it is that they want the full spectrum and then with that if they were to get the full spectrum uh, at the detail of the that you would see with uh, when it's really bright if they were to get that full spectrum they could use that data on their own after it's been collected and just filter out whatever this okay. creature needs or that creature sees hmm. so i have a question as, I, as i'm listening to you talk and um i guess the question i have is what do you think that we will lose if we create a world of nighttime brightness you know, you're here, you are measuring darkness and hearing different people's stories and needs for why they need the SQM. What, what, what are we going to lose if we have artificial light at night everywhere? Oh, I don't know. That's kind of, that's a different kind of question. Um, Non-technical question. Mm. <laughs> say, yeah, well, it's definitely something for people to, to see the night sky and to see the Milky Way and you know, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, no, there's places where you can go to see it, and uh, the people that are in the city will never see it. So it's important for them to to get out at some point in their life to actually be able to see it. Um, and you know, there's effects. There's you know the effects of the animals, but there's also some people that say there's effects with health. You're not getting the right uh, melatonin cycle, which may cause some problems because. If all you see is light and you never really get to see the, the darkness or your the darkness doesn't go out, it may affect your health. Um, mm. There's some studies to do with that. So I guess that's a that's a health issue. But as as far as nature goes, I, I guess there is uh, quite a few things in nature. Well, it sounds like you're, you're, you're getting more and more demand for these pieces of equipment. Is that true? Yeah, it is. Over the years, it's continuously grown. Uh, we've never had a, a drop in, in uh, 
in the demand, that's for sure. And it's, it is different. Uh, now with things going on around the world, we're seeing um, a different, more people are, uh, I, I don't know, it's hard to categorize what we sell, but it's, it's not so much um, the individual astronomer. We're getting other people, you know, like yourself that are looking at making a dark sky park. Uh, now, I don't know why that is. Maybe when things get back to normal, people will uh, want to do more astronomy and, and that'll pick up a, it, it still hasn't dropped over all the years. Um, mm. And is it, is it a hobby for you or is this a full-time job? It's a full-time job for me, and it started out as a hobby. Uh, I, I used to work in the computer electronics industry and uh, took some time off to sort of do my own thing, and, and this happened to be one of the things that <laughs> turned into one of these things. So, yeah, it's a full-time. Uh, get orders from all over the world, uh, you know, Australia. And, What's uh, the most unusual to, destination that you've had to set, send equipment oh, to? Gee. Let's see. Um, there's some some islands uh, uh, near Italy, uh, Sardinia, I think it is, and some other uh, islands in the South Pacific. Mm -hmm. uh, Italy would be struggling to see terribly much over. I mean, that, that's probably one of the most light polluted countries in the world. I don't know what the uh, islands are it like. It is. Yeah. yeah, it is light polluted <laughs> a lot, but surprisingly, there's a lot of uh, light pollution activists there. They have. Uh, a lot of clubs and whatnot that are quite interested and uh, we do have quite a few units out there there's a few maps that are linked on our website to places around the world and italy is one of them that has taken a lot of readings and uh, they've cataloged them they have activist groups that try hard to get uh, light pollution under control there Fantastic. So you've just mentioned something there. I, I was going to ask, and I, I forgot the question. Um, does all the data that is collected through every SQM go back to a central hub? No, not really. Um, mm -hmm. For example, on the handheld meters, there's there's no connection to any database, but we do have a database on our website and we do have a link to a few other databases where people do collect things. Uh, you may be familiar with the Globe at Night site mm -hmm. uh, where people can enter their information in uh, ours ours has been going up for uh, like our website we've had that running since the beginning so we do collect information um, and and there's been some in uh, Italy that have started and I think one went down may not be back up yet but uh, each basically anyone can start up their own website and you can actually pull the data off of our website that people have been have put in and put it into your own database if you want to sort it out and look for different things mm -hmm. uh, then we do have our computer connected models that they don't actually send anything back by default anywhere but some people have set up their own websites where they can collect like non-stop data from uh, various meters if they like there's certain software programs that you can get to collect the information from let's say our ethernet model and send it back to a database somewhere else mm -hmm. so it's really up to the individual person what they want to do with the data and where they want to go with it we're, we're not holding any uh, uh, patents or anything on the on mm -hmm. where the data is stored or you know it's all open source if you whatever you want to do feel free mm. that's interesting because you may be aware and in fact that's how i 
came to be in contact with you was that we, we being uh, the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance in, um, in, in Australia and New Zealand held a Guinness World Record attempt to use the Globe at Night platform to get readings uh, from mostly Australia and New Zealand, we thought, but in the end we had 76 countries and I think we actually crashed the Globe at Night website for a, for a little period there because we had so many people putting in, in data, which was fantastic. Most Mostly that was just the visual data, visual observations, but there were a few SQM readings there as well, which was... Oh, that's amazing, yeah. Yeah, we were trying to break a world record of 2,000 people and we had 10,500 people sign up <laughs> with about wow. four weeks' notice, which was great. So uh, we hope to replicate that again. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. but uh, And it's given me some ideas about how the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance could create our own website or at least a part of our website where we can actually um, get all the SQM data across Australia and just you know, collectively see what's getting darker, what's getting brighter. Uh, that could be a good way of, yeah. Right, mm. right. We have, um, you know, our, some of our part of the connected products, we have software that comes along with it that does plotting and, and so you can plot things over a certain period of time, look at it. And there's other third-party companies that have made their own software and that's available from our website too. And there's a few other links on like i was saying before where you can subscribe to somebody else's uh system and in most cases it's free there's no there's no charge for getting your data sent automatically from our connected meters over to their plotting mm. facility so you can look at things and compare them over a long term over years or whatever yeah, fantastic. That's great. So what we should do is to get everybody to know what your website is so that they can go and have a look at it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the name of our company, Unihedron, U-N-I-H-E-D-R-O-N.com. And uh, it's just a simple website. Uh, we have a listing of our products. But if you click on any of those products, it, it'll take you to the page of the product, but also the resources for uh, like all these links I've been mentioning, the different reports that people have written and uh, the databases that are out there already. We also have a mailing list, so people can subscribe to that and ask a question that just goes out by email. We have a forum as well. Uh, not everybody looks at it, but you know, you can post something on there and uh, questions or whatnot. And people that uh, participate in that will will answer a question. Or in fact, if you've got something you want to advertise, you know, you've got a readings that you've taken or a database uh, that you're setting up feel free to put that information out there so other people can connect to it as well it's great information sharing is key to all of this i think and, and it's lovely yeah. that you've got that resource so fantastic so i've got one last question for you and actually i've got two how did you yeah. come up <laughs> i just wanted to when you mentioned the name of the website how did you come up with the name unihedron <laughs> well uh, I've always been interested in shapes and whatnot, and uh, I don't know. Just hedron is the uh, the suffix for a, a mm. shape. Dodecahedron. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And there's and there's no such uh, shape that only has one side. <laughs> so I, I basically wanted something that, uh, if you looked on Google or whatever search engine this would be the only thing that shows up you know? <laughs> there's, you know there's so many other companies out there and there's like three or four with exactly the same name so 
So, and it's a unique shape, right? It's a, a shape that only has one side, which means there's no such thing as that because <laughs> it has to have more to be uh, shaped. Yeah, very good. Well, well done. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, dear. And so the, the last question I have, which is what I ask all of my guests, is what is your most memorable dark sky experience? You must have one. You must have been to a few places around the world. Uh, well... Or is it in, is it in Canada? Canada is yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, there's yeah. lots in Canada. Yeah. Mm. Well, when uh, I went to the the star parties here in Ontario, there uh, it's fairly dark, and I got to see the uh, the Milky Way. Um, I, I I grew up in a rural area in, in uh, I guess it's like southern Ontario, which there's a lot of lights around here. And whenever I saw the Milky Way, I actually never did think of it much, you know, because being young, you just look at, you see the moon, you see Venus and, and whatnot. I didn't really think. And then when I saw the Milky Way up there, I said, whoa, what's those clouds in the sky? <laughs> Mm. <laughs> people were saying, no, no, that's the Milky Way. <laughs> and then, of course, when you look through a telescope, it's just loaded with stars. So that, to me, was the most memorable. Uh, and, and how the old thing were you? About, <laughs> pretty old. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty old. <laughs> okay. uh, well, I was always interested in, uh, I think then I must have been about 40, something like that. Okay. So, wow. Isn't that, yeah. that, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And it, 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 it sort of parallels a story that I have. Um, which I think's probably almost a little bit more surprising was I I run tours up to observatories and things and I had a group of people who were between, you know, in their late 60s and early 80s, you know, that sort of 20, 20 people in that sort of age bracket. And we put a telescope out and we had a lady look at Saturn and she came, she put her head up from the telescope. She had tears streaming down her face and she said, I can't believe I've never seen this before. Um, oh, and, and yeah, and, and, and so I, yeah, I, you know, people all, you know, all around the world might never experience either of those, you know, you seeing, you seeing the Milky Way or her seeing Saturn. Um, right, right. You expect to see, well, you see it on TV or in a magazine and, you know, there's stars there and you think, oh, I've seen it all in there. That's the end of it. Um, but, you know, when you look at it, through a telescope well one thing i i wondered was why is it all black and white why isn't it color like in the magazine <laughs> well there's just not enough light for your eye to see it like that you need a camera to do that kind of thing so that was a bit of a surprise to me as well yeah and actually realize that no and and i think in some ways we've we've grown up you know, this generation now is a little bit spoiled because they see these wonderful images, you know, either from the Hubble of deep space or even, you know, our, our solar system taken with beautiful, you know, telescopes and CCD cameras and they expect that when they look through a telescope they're going to see this thing that's the size of a, you know, 20-cent <laughs> coin and full of colour and there you go, you can see the Jupiters, you know, big storm and... But, uh, and I, because I, I managed Sydney Observatory for a little while and I did, I, that was probably the only complaint we ever really got was I mean, they were disappointed that they couldn't see the colour in the planets. Right. And, but it does tell you a lot about your own eyes when you see that and you wonder, well, if, if I was travelling out in space, would I see what the people in Star Trek see? <laughs> no, you wouldn't. <laughs> you know, it's still going to look black and white. It's not going to be these beautiful nebulas up close or anything. 
Yeah. The, the human eye is fascinating actually and, and how it, you know, adapts to darkness and, and yeah, yeah. We and, and yet we don't actually have a very good. Um, we, our eye isn't great at night, is it? Compared to other animals, and um, right, right, mm. it's made for <laughs> daylight, daylight yeah. viewing, mm. right. which is possibly why most of us spend most of our time thinking about the daytime and forget about <laughs> night. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Time to shut off and get into bed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, I, I think that's been fabulous talking with you and answered a lot of little questions about where the unihedron came from, even how you got its name. <laughs> and uh, and I'm sure that there, this has piqued people's interest and, and they've probably got a lot more questions. So you probably get thousands of questions flooding your website now. And uh, That's okay. <laughs> i got time for that. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Marnie, for having me on. No, thank you. And thank you for what you've been doing too, because it really has, you know, it has evolved and has allowed people to understand light pollution and the night in a, in a different way. So thank you very much. You've left a wonderful legacy. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And uh, I'm sure my friend Doug will also appreciate that as well. Please pass that on to him as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.